think most of us spend more time planning a single vacation than we do the rest of our lives. It's because we've fallen for this lie that I believe is 100% from the devil that we're just here to consume mm. and wait around until eternity, right? We've been saved just to sit back and not get into too much trouble and just wait for Jesus to return. Yeah, this is bogus. We've got work to do. We've been saved for good works. Hey guys, it's Reagan here. That was Jordan Rayner you just heard. In this episode, we're going to be talking about his new book, Redeeming Your Time, Seven Biblical Principles for Being Purposeful, Present, and Wildly Productive. And in our conversation, we cover topics like how to give a generous no, turning down requests of your time with grace, how the life of Jesus offers us a model of unhurried busyness, and Jordan actually takes us through his most effective strategy to turn down the noise in your life so you can focus on what matters most. You're definitely going to want to stick around for this one. Uh, Just a couple of things before we jump into the conversation. First, welcome back. This is season three of Redeeming Productivity. And the theme for the next eight episodes or so is going to be slowductivity, which is a made-up word. But the idea is we're going to be talking about subjects that have to do with getting more done by doing less or going slower. We've got some really interesting episodes lined up, along with some really great guests that I'm excited about. And we're going to be talking about subjects like overcommitment, slow faithfulness, Bitcoin, of all things, and how the Industrial Revolution ruined everything, along with much, much more. So make sure that you are subscribed, tell your friends, and if you could take a second right now and give us a review on your podcast player, that would really help as well. Second, Jesus' burden may be light, but the cost of producing resources on productivity from a biblical worldview as my full-time job are very real and often heavy. So if you are benefiting from this show or from my newsletter or video or articles or any of the other things that I create around this world of Christian productivity, would you prayerfully consider supporting Redeeming Productivity? Uh, There's two ways to do this. First, and arguably the most fun, is you can join my Patreon For as little as five bucks a month, you can help support the show, Redeeming Productivity in general. And as a thank you, I'll send you some little gifts like Redeeming Productivity stickers. Uh, You also get to join our private Discord server where you can chat with other productive Christians. Uh, If you're interested in doing that, just hit up patreon.com slash redeemingprod to learn more. That's patreon.com slash redeemingprod to learn more. There's also going to be a link in the show notes. Uh, The other way you can support the show is if you have a fear of monthly commitments because of something that happened to you in your past. First, I'm sorry. Second, you don't have to use Patreon. You can send a one-time or a recurring donation by going to redeemingproductivity.com slash donate. That's redeemingproductivity.com slash donate. And again, the link will be in the show notes. Okay, enough of that. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Redeeming Productivity Show. This is the podcast that helps Christians get more done and get it done like Christians. And I'm your host, Reagan Rose. Well, guys, in this episode, I am so excited because I get to be joined by Jordan Rayner. Jordan is a serial entrepreneur and a best-selling author. He serves as the executive chairman of Threshold 360, a venture-backed startup that has built the largest library of 360-degree experiences of hotels, restaurants, and attractions 
And before that, he had a string of several successful ventures of his own. He has spoken the topic of faith and work at places like Harvard, South by Southwest, and TEDx, and he's twice been listed as a Google Fellow. And you might know Jordan's name from his books Called to Create or Master of One, or his new book, which comes out this week, which we're going to be talking about a lot today, which is called Redeeming Your Time, Seven Biblical Principles for Being Purposeful, Present, and Wildly Productive. Jordan, welcome to the show. Reagan, thanks for having me. I With that title... I can't think of a better podcast to hang out on, right? Like, this is perfect. It's a good match. It's a really good match. We were just talking before we started. I had not heard of what Jordan's doing, and he hadn't heard what I was doing. And man, if you like what, what I'm doing with Dream of Activity, you're going to love what Jordan's doing. So highly recommend this book. I, I'm about halfway through it myself, and I can already recommend it. And you have a podcast yourself, too, The Call to Mastery. Yeah, we love it. Every week I interview uh, a Christian who's world-class at whatever they do vocationally. So we've talked to entrepreneurs, doctors, uh, carpenters, authors, whatever. And really the heart of the conversation is how does the gospel shape the work that we do in the world? Why we work, what work we choose to do, and then how we do our work. And of course, Redeeming our time is a big part of the answer to that how question. This is part of our response to the gospel, uh, as Paul says in Ephesians 5.16, to redeem our time, to buy up our time because the days are evil and we're running out of time to do the work God's called us to do in this vapor of a life. The thing I want to ask you is, you know, given, given your resume, given some of the things you've done in your past and you have enjoyed success in a lot of your endeavors, which is required, I'm sure, productivity. What made you come at doing this book? What, yeah. what was the thing that got in your head that made you say, I need to do a book on productivity for Christians? Well, I'll tell you what. This is the most cluttered category of books on the planet. So I had to have a pretty darn good answer to that question, Reagan. But you know this, right? There are 60,000 time management books on Amazon right now. Mm. And listen, I've read a lot of them. I've read all the perennial bestsellers in this category that have been very helpful to me. We're talking about getting things done by David Allen, deep work by Cal Newport, my friend Cal. Uh, a lot of these are books. But I've always had two really big problems with the books in this genre. You know, first, you know, Reagan, in my experience, they tend to be centered on workspace productivity. Mm -hmm. You know, the message from the author is, hey, listen, you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed. Follow my system, do exercises X, Y, and Z, and then you'll find peace. Well, dude, as Christ followers, we already have peace, right? Romans 5.1, we have ultimate peace with God. So yeah, we care about managing our time well, but not uh, in this wild goose chase searching for peace that can never be found in any human system. We do it in response to the peace that has been graced to us by God. And I just think that's a very different foundation for a book. I know you agree because you're writing a lot in the same vein. So that's the first problem I want to solve. The second reason why I wrote this book is, you know, I have never read a time management book that accounted for how the author of time managed his time when he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. And this is mind boggling to mm -hmm. me. Christian or not, it's pretty hard to dispute that Jesus was the most productive person to ever walk the earth, right? Uh, and the problem here is, we tend to read the Gospels 
exclusively for their theology and their ethics. And we forget, as my friend John Mark Comer has pointed out, they're also biographies of the life of Christ. And sure, they don't show him walking around with a to-do list or a calendar, right? But the Gospels do show him fighting distractions at work and seeking out solitude and trying to be busy without being hurried. Uh, in other words, they show Jesus struggling with a lot of the same things you and I do today, right? So that's what this book is all about, redeeming your time. It's the seven timeless time management principles that I think we could see in the life of Christ mapped to more than 30 hyper-practical practices that help us live out those principles in the 21st century. I couldn't agree more that the the foundation aspect, and that's, I mean, this is what got me into this space myself too. Yeah. The Just the realization that my motivation as a Christian is fundamentally different than someone who doesn't know the Lord. It's just going to be different. And I, I think you totally keyed on it. I actually did an episode, it was a couple months ago, on the idea of peace and productivity. And that's why we, a lot of times we seek it out. My life is chaotic. How do I bring order to it? Yeah. But when that peace is already there, that that's all the difference. And you call that... Um, in the book, gospel, uh, what did you call it? Gospel-based productivity. Grace-based yeah. productivity. I yeah. love that. Explain yeah. that a little bit more. So how, yeah, how do sure. we approach I'll try it? To, I'll try to illustrate this with a story from the gospels, right? So um, if you talk to somebody who's really struggling with this issue today, the word they often use to describe themselves is swamped, <laughs> right? They just sit back, throw their hands up in the air. They're like, I'm swamped. And Luke chapter eight, uses the exact same word to describe the disciples who were not swamped by their to-do lists or their hurried schedules, but they were swamped by the wind and the waves. They're out there on the boat in the Sea of Galilee with Jesus, right? The storm comes down and Luke 8, 23 says, the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. And I read that and I was like, that's it. Because the solution to the disciples being swamped by the wind and the waves is the exact same solution to our being swamped by our to-do list. It's Jesus. It's the God man sleeping in the boat. The disciples didn't have to do a single thing in order to bring peace amongst all that chaos. They just had to trust the sleeping God man in the boat. And the same is true for us. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of David Allen's methodology in his great book, Getting Things Done. And in that book, he promises that if you follow his system, you will find, quote, mind like water. And listen, that book has brought me a lot of peace, but it, it fails at some point. It can never bring me ultimate peace. And I think a lot of people approach these time management books and they're like, okay, this book promised me peace, but I don't feel at peace all the time. Uh, man, I must be the problem. It's like, no, that's not the problem. We've been looking for peace in the wrong places. At the end of the day, our peace is found in Jesus in the boat. That is our ultimate source of peace, not any man-made system. I tell people in this book, if you're looking to me to solve all your problems, don't buy this book. I can't do it. Neither can Cal Newport. Neither can David Allen. Neither can anybody. Neither can Reagan Rose. Jesus alone is our peace. And, the, and we can provide great resources, whatever, but he is our rock, our foundation, and has to be as we approach this topic of productivity. Amen. Well said. So the the book, the subtitle is Seven Biblical Principles for Being Purposeful, Present, and Wildly Productive. 
what are they high level? What are the seven principles? Yeah, we'll breeze through them. And I, I, I don't think they're just biblical. I think they're directly from the life of Christ. You know, principle mm-hmm. number one, start with the word. Jesus prioritized time with his father above sleep, above time with his disciples, above everything, right? We've got to do the same if we care about redeeming our time for eternal rather than temporal purposes, right? Principle number two, let your yes be yes. Comes directly from Jesus' mouth. He commanded that we be known as keepers of our word. And yeah, I, I got to be honest, like a lot of us aren't, you know, so much in, in, in time management literature talks about setting big goals and doing new things, right? It's like, we got to make sure that we've got the commitments we've already made taken care of. Uh, and this chapter is very heavily influenced by GTD, David Allen's Game Things Done. Principle number three, one of my favorites in the book is this principle uh, called Descent from the Kingdom of Noise, right? When you look at the Gospels, The number of times you see Jesus withdrawing to a lonely or solitary place is staggering, right? He made time for solitude and silence. And as I argue in this chapter of the book, we've got to do the same if we want to think clearly, if we want to be creative, if we want to be able to discern the essential from the noise on our to-do list, and most importantly, if we want to listen to the voice of God. Principle number four, prioritize our yeses. I would argue you can't do that unless you descend for the kingdom of noise, principle number three. Principle five, accept your uni presence. We've got to learn how to embrace our uni presence mm-hmm. in order to do deep work and in order to live a deep life. Principle six, embrace productive rest. I sketch out these three rhythms of rest that are counterintuitively productive for our goals and our souls. And then finally, principle number seven, eliminate all hurry. Obviously, a nod to Dallas Willard and John Ortberg and John Mark Comer. We need to embrace productive busyness, right? Busyness is good. Jesus was crazy busy, but he was never busy in a way that made him angry or frantic or anxious. And that's the line between busy and hurried. And we got to make sure we stay on the right side of that line. You talk about in the book that the gospel is our ultimate source of rest and ambition. I thought that was really interesting because one of the things, you know, you come across sometimes if you start talking about ambition, or even if you're an ambitious person, Mm -hmm. sometimes other believers can be like, well, hold your horses here. We need to be humble. We can't, you know, we we can't be ambitious. And it's sort of ambition sort of treated like a dirty word sometimes. What did you mean when you said that, that Christians need to be setting epic goals and need to be ambitious? And how does that relate to the gospel? Yeah. So I, I think we can see the connection most clearly in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, we know very well in the church, right? Uh, We are saved by faith alone, not by works so that nobody can boast. So we're not saved by the things that we do at work. We're not saved by our productivity. But then Paul goes on in verse 10 to say that we are created in Christ Jesus, i.e. we've been saved by Christ Jesus. Why? for good works, which the Father has prepared in advance for us us to do. The very purpose of our salvation is to go out in the world 
and do as many good works as we possibly can for the good of others and ultimately for God's glory. And a lot of times when people hear Paul use this term, good works, or Jesus used the exact same Greek word, ergon, that we translate to good works, we assume that it means exclusively, quote unquote, spiritual things, mm-hmm. evangelism, uh, giving money to the poor. Go look up this Greek word, ergon, in any biblical concordance you want. And you're going to find a pretty consistent definition of this word. It means, quote, according to my commentary, work, task, and employment, right? So the very purpose of our lives, of our salvation, is to just go to work and do our work as productively, as excellently as we possibly can, which, of course, includes in genuine love of our neighbors above ourselves. That's what good works is in the New Testament. And we should be ambitious for that because we are still a long ways away from the kingdom being on earth fully as it is in heaven. We got a lot of work left to do and we should be ambitious, not for our own fame and fortune, but for the advancement of the kingdom. That's the source of our ambition. And you're singing my song, brother. That, that, is, that is it right there is it's not, it's not, you get saved and this is a waiting room and we're just here to chill out until we die or Christ returns. It's, there's work to do. So can we get, can we get, can we go a layer deeper? Yeah, let's go. Okay. All right. I just was, uh, so I'm a, I'm a huge fan of N.T. Wright. Mm-hmm. Uh, if your listeners don't know, N.T. Wright uh, is this Oxford scholar. Newsweek has called him the world's leading New Testament scholar, and I think that's an understatement. He's brilliant, brilliant. I was talking to him recently, and um, we were talking about John chapter 20. Very familiar account. You've probably read it a hundred times at church at Easter. It's the account of Jesus' resurrection. And when he appears to Mary Magdalene and Mary Magdalene mistakes him for a gardener. And we breeze past this detail. Like, ah, it's like kind of weird, like whatever. It doesn't mean anything. But like, of course, no word of scripture is there by accident. It's God's word. And N.T. Wright pointed out to me, he's like, Jordan, this is 100% intentional. John is showing us that by Jesus appearing as the gardener to Mary is pointing us back to Genesis 1 to remind us that God has always wanted to work in this world in partnership with human beings. Go back to Genesis 1. God spends the first six days creating. What he created is remarkable. But what's equally remarkable is what he didn't create. He left the earth largely void. It was a blank canvas. And then he created Adam and Eve and said, fill and subdue this earth, right? Adam and Eve sinned, ushering in the curse and the need for a redeemer, Jesus. And then when Jesus rises from the dead, He chooses to be mistaken for a gardener, N.T. Wright says, as a means of pointing us back to chapter one and saying, just as Adam had his bride Eve to help him cultivate the first creation, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, Jesus the gardener, has his bride, the church, to help him cultivate the final one, right? Blew my mind. Yeah, It blew my mind, right? Jesus could have brought the kingdom in full, 100% on the first Easter Sunday. He didn't, right? And it shouldn't have surprised the disciples because he kept telling them the kingdom's going to come slowly, like a mustard seed that grows over time, like yeast that works its way through 60 pounds of dough. The kingdom comes at least in part through the Holy Spirit working through you and me, believer, doing work of gardening 
the final creation. I love that. That's the source of our ambition. Yeah. And it and it's not a burden, it's a privilege. It's totally. not it's not that you you have to do all of these things that 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 his yoke is heavy. No, his yoke is light. It's that you get to. And and I just love what you're saying too. Like I think sometimes people we don't zoom out far enough. We think in terms of someone brings up good works and we think, well, works don't contribute to our salvation, so mm. therefore works don't matter. Mm. It's like, no, 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 you got to go back. Why did God make us to begin with? What was the master plan? And it's all been out of whack because of sin. But yeah. once that relationship's restored with God, then what do you do? You yeah. got work to do. And exactly. It's, and it's and, blessed work. And the burden is light because God doesn't need us to finish our to-do list. Right. Love that. He, did, he didn't need Moses to lead his people in the promised land. So he chose Joshua. Right. If I die tomorrow and God, the things on my to do list are on God's to do list, he's going to finish them with or without me. That's what makes the burden light. That's free. Now I just work as a response of worship, not because I need anything from my heavenly father, because he's given me everything in Christ, not because he needs anything from me, just because I want to make him proud. That's it. So another aspect of the book that I, I really dug and you touched on it in the seven points was you emphasize things that maybe people wouldn't think of as relating to personal productivity. I'm specifically yeah. thinking of like rest, you said accepting your limitations, your, your, your unipresence, being less busy. How do those things factor into how we redeem our time? Yeah, let's just take rest uh, chapter six, embrace productive rest. And we'll just focus on one third of that chapter, this idea of sleep. I think a lot of us are familiar with the scary side effects of a lack of sleep. We've all heard the statistics, you know, showing up to work on six hours of sleep is like showing up to work drunk, whatever, blah, 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 blah. What I find way more inspiring are the positive effects of a good night's sleep. It is crystal clear in the scientific literature that sleep makes us way more productive because it allows our subconscious to work out and make creative connections between the things that our conscious mind couldn't the day before. I'll give you a wildly entertaining story that illustrates this. Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones would sleep with a guitar and a tape recorder next to his bed every night, just in case Bill and I gets an idea, gets up records it, whatever goes back to sleep. So one night he uh, goes to sleep in Clearwater, Florida, right down the street from me. And he wakes up the next morning and his tape recorder had played all the way to the end. And he's like, that's weird. Like, I don't remember recording anything. So he rewinds the tape. He presses play. <laughs> Unconsciously in his sleep. Keith Richards wrote the first verse in the chorus of Satisfaction, the Rolling no Stones' way. greatest hit of all time. No joke. That's it's a, an unbelievable story. <laughs> and so listen, like our creative breakthroughs powered by sleep are not going to be as dramatic as Keith Richards writing his satisfaction. But any sleep scientist, we just had one on my podcast who was talking about this, will tell you that sleep, eight hours, uh, and that is the standard, uh, is productive for our goals. It helps us achieve more and be more productive counterintuitively. But here's the other reason why I love these rhythms of rest, whether it's nightly sleep or breaks throughout the workday or weekly Sabbath. They're not just productive for our goals. They're productive for our souls as well because sleep, rest, it is a means of preaching the gospel to myself. 
of reminding myself that I have value to God, even when I'm not productive. And oh, by the way, the world keeps spinning, uh, even when I don't, right? That's a pretty powerful sermon to be preaching to ourselves, uh, us ambitious, productive people. I don't know if you've ever read uh, that little book by Christopher Ash, Zeal Without Burnout. It's, no. it's a good one. It's, it's a Christian author. It's worth reading. Someone handed that to me in my last year of seminary because I was burnt out and my zeal was burning out. And that's kind of the whole, his whole emphasis. He's like, you're not God. You yeah. aren't God. He doesn't yeah. need you to do all of this. You can't uphold the whole world by yourself. It doesn't fall all fall apart just because you take a break. And some of us, that's what we need to hear. Totally. Kind of on similar subject there, the, the seventh principle, eliminating yeah. all hurry. You yeah. talk about John Mark Comer's work, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, great book, by the way. But in your, your book, Redeeming Your Time, you put kind of a finer point. You make a distinction between being busy and being hurried. Well, yeah. Can you suss that out a little? Sure, yeah. I love John Mark. Uh, I loved this book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. But I know a lot of people who are really high achievers who didn't even pick the book up because they were they, they just feel this sense that there's purpose to their lives and they like having busy lives. And so I do think this distinction between busyness and hurry is critical for us to understand. Uh, John Orberg once said that being busy is an outward condition. It's a condition of the body. It's having a lot of things to do. Hurry is this inner condition of the soul, right? So what does this look like practically? For me, busyness looks like having a lot of meetings on my calendar today, right? Hurry is when I've scheduled those meetings back to back and I am forced to sprint from one to the next and I have no time to say hello to my wife or listen to myself think or say a quick prayer about the next meeting that I'm heading towards, right? Busy is when on Saturdays, I got a lot of errands to run. Hurry is when I get mad for choosing lane three instead of lane four at the grocery store because I couldn't afford the 30 seconds that I lost, right? So again, go back to the gospel biographies. Jesus was insanely busy, right? And this is what I think was somewhat lost in this, you know, and hustle and hurry conversation of the last couple of years. Jesus worked 12-hour days. There was one scene in which his family said he was, quote, out of his mind. They thought he was so busy, but he was never busy in a way that made him angry or anxious or frantic. That's the difference, right? To redeem our time, we've got to fight for that same balance, embracing productive busyness while ruthlessly eliminating hurry from our lives. I love that. And, and connected with that too, I mean, the only way to remove hurry and, and the bad kind of busyness from your life is to say no to certain things. Yeah. And in your book, you, you bring up something I thought was interesting because sometimes, you know, there, there is a lot of books talk about, you know, we got to say no to things, but as a Christian, you're like, but I'm a servant. Like we feel bad. Like your, your yeah. church says, Hey, can you come help with uh, be a door greeter on Sundays? Yeah. And you, yeah. you can't say no to that. Your church is asking you, <laughs> you know, I'm supposed to be a, anyone who wants to be great must be servant of all. But you talk about something, you call it the generous. No. Could you elaborate yeah. on that? Listen, if somebody's asking me for my time, uh, I think one of the most generous things you could do is just respond, especially if somebody's asking you via email, 
just responding can be seen as generous. But I also, if I decline that request, I'm going to offer to help in some other way, right? For example, uh, if somebody at my church says, hey, Jordan, we really want you to serve on the finance committee. Uh, I'm going to say no to that because as talented as I am as an entrepreneur, I'm not a financial entrepreneur. I'm, I'm horrible with numbers. And my wife's a CPA. So I pointed to my wife, like, hey, Kara, you signed <laughs> up for this, right? Uh, or, or, you know, take the proverbial coffee meeting. If somebody, if somebody says, hey, Jordan, I'd love to take you out to coffee to ask you a few questions about X, Y, and Z. I, sometimes I'll say yes to that. A lot of times I'll say no. But if I do say no, I'll say no generously by offering to answer questions via email. Right. Or offering to introduce them to somebody that I genuinely believe can serve that person better. Right. I think a lot of productivity literature, um, the advice on no is really out of step with Jesus's example in the Gospels. It's just incredibly and exclusively, I would argue, self-serving. There was there was this TED talk a few years ago uh, where it was really popular. And the speaker said, you know, when deciding whether or not to do something, if you feel anything less than, wow, that would be amazing, absolutely, then say no. And I'm just like, really? Like, like I don't know. Like, I, there's plenty of examples of Jesus in the Gospels saying yes when he didn't want to. Matthew 14 is a terrific example of this. And so, you know, we just have got to think differently about this two-letter word as Christ followers. And I would submit we can be set apart by how we say no in a generous way, going out of our way to protect our time, but at the same time, seek to serve those that we're saying no to. That's really well said. Yeah, I, I think about like, if if I only said yes to the things that I, that I was, wow, I probably wouldn't get off the couch. I might not get out of bed in the morning, to be honest with you. <laughs> There's exactly very few right. times I've been a hundred percent yes on something. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's, that's a really helpful distinction, Jordan. Um, Cause you, we can get hung up on that. Like that balance between, look, I'm the one who's been charged with stewarding this time. God has given me this life and, and I, I need to be wise without I use it. Yeah. But also I don't know. I can't, I think it goes with planning too. I can't perfectly plan every minute of my day right. because God is very fond of bringing interruptions. I mean, even in Jesus' ministry, you see how just conversations and opportunities popped up and how he just leaned into those and yeah. went into it. If I'm yeah. so perfectly scheduled, I will never, never uh, jump into something like that that may be an opportunity from the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. What do you think is like the biggest obstacle for modern Christians specifically? when it comes to making the most of our lives, what do you think is the biggest thing standing in our way? Cause I feel like we have more opportunities than ever before, but it's, it's, it's tough in modern times. Yeah, this is easy. Um, the quiet solitude to discern mm. the essential from the noise. I, I think this has become epidemic uh, for all of us. And I don't think the church looks very different than the rest of the world here. We are addicted to noise. And by noise, I'm talking about nonstop news, nonstop information, nonstop social media, buzzing of our devices, even text messaging, which people wouldn't typically put in this bucket, but just constant inputs, right? Uh, There's a reason why most of us have our most creative ideas in the shower. Hmm. Because it's 
pretty much the last place on earth where we're not intaking new information. And if we want to be productive towards the things of the Lord, productivity requires that we're not just not efficient, but we're effective. And in order to discern where we can be the most effective, we have to have silence and solitude just to think, right? Just to sort through all the inputs and make decisions about where we're going to invest our time. Uh, so this is the third chapter of the book, Descent from the Kingdom of Noise. And in this chapter alone, I offer nine practices <laughs> to help us all descend from the kingdom of noise because I think we're really bad at this. Really, really, really bad at this. And we got to get better. Yeah, I, I completely agree. In the Bible, it talks about, you know, meditating on God's word. And I think a lot of us, you know, even if you're doing your, your daily devotions every, every morning, you're reading the word, when are you mulling on those things? But yeah. I think you can extrapolate that even wider is when are you mulling on anything? When yes. are you just chewing on an idea? When are you just thinking? When are you just cutting off the flow of new information and letting your, your mind, your spirit synthesize what you've heard and turn it into something that will actually change your life, that'll actually yeah. um, change your actions? I, I find it so ironic that we call quiet times quiet times because they're not quiet at all. <laughs> like, sure, you're like quiet in the sense that you're not speaking, but for so many of us, Throughout that 30 minutes, hour, whatever it is, we're constantly intaking new information mm. or reading. How often do we just sit, literally sit in front of God's word after we've read it and just think about it mm -hmm. and just allow the Holy Spirit to connect the word to what's going on in our lives and our mm. work? Man, for me, that's really hard. I think it's hard for a lot of people, but this is critical for us to get right. No, absolutely. For me, the, the big change I've made that has just been so significant is taking long walks every day, like over yeah. an hour and just yeah. don't, don't bring a device. Don't bring anything to read and don't, don't go somewhere distracting just a long walk and just let my brain think on different things. Yes. Um, it's amazing. You come back so peaceful. It's like the noise dies down. Totally. When I was running, uh, this very well-funded tech startup, called threshold that you mentioned uh, earlier one of my one of my daily rituals was i would take a really long walk around downtown tampa i would walk a half a mile from my office to my favorite coffee shop in town and i wouldn't look at my phone i wouldn't take phone calls i would just think because at a startup things are changing so fast right every 24 hours i would just walk to think and discern what's important now, what is truly essential? Given our quarterly goals, what do I have to be doing today to move the ball forward on those goals? And those, I credit those walks uh, with ensuring that me and my team were focused on the right things the majority of the time during those three or so years I was running that business. I heard someone say, I can't remember what exact numbers they put on it, but they said, you know, taking an hour or a half an hour to think and assess some of your plans could save you a decade of work. Cause you know, it's yeah. that old thing. Like if you're rowing in the wrong direction, you're, you're not making progress. You're going the wrong way. And if we don't pause to think about what we're doing and where we're going, we can, we can be as productive as we want going the wrong direction and have nothing to show for it. I, I think most of us spend more time planning a single vacation than we do the rest of our lives. Uh, Man. 
That's convicting. Don't say that. I'm cutting that. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're right on. Yeah. It's convicting for me as well. And again, this is going back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago. It's because we've fallen for this lie that I believe is 100% from the devil that we're just here to consume Mm. and wait around until eternity, right? We've been saved just to sit back and not get into too much trouble and just wait for Jesus to return. Yeah, this is bogus. We've got work to do. We've been saved for good works. We have been saved. Look at look at the context of Ephesians 5.16, where the title of this book, Redeeming Your Time, comes from. Ephesians 1 through 4, Paul's preaching the gospel, right? Ephesians 5.1, he reminds us of our status as dearly loved children of God. Again, preaching the gospel. And then, as Paul always does, he's anticipating his readers' questions, right? And he's hearing them ask, okay, Paul, what's our response to the gospel? And that's where Ephesians 5, 16, 15, 16 comes in. He says, see then that you walk carefully, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil, because we're running out of time to do the work God has given us to do. Tim Keller was commenting on this verse once. He said, time stewardship is a command. A biblical command. A lot of times we think time management literature is secular, right? Time management was one of the most godly things you could do to roll up your sleeves, redeem the time because you believe the father is still working in this world and doing that work, at least in part through you and the spirit moving in you. Jordan, I'm thinking of somebody who's listening to this, who their their hearts resounding with what you're talking about they're thinking man i i want to i want to live a life of purpose i, I understand i've been redeemed and there's a reason uh, for me to be here and to redeem my time but i'm just i'm feeling swamped i'm feeling overwhelmed i'm feeling stuck what what's the first thing they should do what what should, where do they start how do they get out of that hole and get back on purpose yeah so there're 32 practices in this book um I've been leading about 100 people through an advanced copy of this book over the last year. And the one that is the most life-changing is not the easiest. So I'm not going to recommend the easiest one, but I will recommend the most life-changing one. Uh, And it is just taking control over when you check your messages. Hmm. Email, text messages. Listen, we can't do deep work. We cannot cultivate deep relationships at home until we solve this problem. I believe that wholeheartedly, right? Mm. And I've heard every objection to this idea of only checking email and text a couple of times a day. You know, people expect me to respond immediately. Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to miss something urgent. And I dismantle those objections at length in the book. Uh, So we probably don't have time to get into it here. But listen, this isn't as hard as you think. Um, In this one practice in the book, I outlined three steps to taking control over when you check your messages. And I'll just share them real quickly. Step one, choose ahead of time when you're going to check messages every day. Instead of reacting constantly, right? You choose ahead of time when you're going to check them. And listen, check them as frequently as you want. What matters far more than the number of times that you check your messages is that you dictate when you check them. Right. When I was CEO of a tech startup growing 50% a quarter, I only check email and text three times a day, 10 a.m., 1 p.m., 3 p.m., something like that. I can't remember the exact times. Right. So choose when you're going to check your messages every day. Step two, build a list of VIPs 
that can access you outside those times, that can access you anytime, right? This is critical to making this work. So for me, the VIPs in my life are my wife, my kid's school, my assistant, uh, the investors of that venture I was just talking about. Make a list of these people, put them on the favorites list on your iPhone, or if you're an Android user, put them on the people list on your uh, Android device. And then when you turn your phone on, do not disturb so that you can be fully present with your work and with your family, calls from those people and those people alone will come through, right? Step one, choose when you're going to check your messages. Step two, build a list of VIPs who can access you outside those times. And then step number three, you got to set expectations with the VIPs in your life about how to reach you, right? So once you've, once you've done those first two steps, go to the VIPs and say something along these lines. Say, hey, um, I'm trying to be more focused at work and at home. And in order to do that from now on, I'm only checking email and text at X, Y, and Z times, but you're a VIP in my life. So if you need to reach me outside those times, call me on my cell, my phone will ring every time. And if I'm available, I'll answer. If you do those three things, you're not going to miss anything that's truly urgent. You're not going to miss it. I promise you. Uh, but we've got to do this because the way we respond to messages is the most asinine thing I've ever seen in my life. It's crazy the way we, we manage this. I, I just love the blend of, of the practical and the principles too. This, yeah. you, you strike a really good balance where you, you go really deep on stuff and then you give very practical takeaways. And it's not, it's not just like recycled stuff. You know, a lot of times we hear the same yeah. tips over and over again. Yeah. It's really good. I, I was um, really proud of the endorsement of this book I got from Cal Newport, uh, author of Deep Work. He said, this is a truly original take on time management that mixes the theological, the theoretical, and the scientific data, and the tactical. And in my experience, uh, books tend to err on one of those three sides, right? Overcompensate. Uh, and so that, 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 was a, that was a great endorsement from Cal to recognize that this is unique uh, because of that balance. I think he's spot on. The book, again, is Redeeming Your Time, Seven Biblical Principles for Being Purposeful, Present, and Wildly Productive, and the author is Jordan Rayner. Jordan, I really appreciate you taking the time being with us today. Uh, how can people find you? What's the best place for them to look up what you're doing online? Yeah, and thanks for having me, Reagan. This has been a ton of fun. Uh, you can find tons of free resources uh, from me to help you connect the gospel to your work at jordanrainer.com, J-O-R-D-A-N-R-A-Y-N-O-R. Awesome. Well, hope we can talk again soon, brother. Yeah, Appreciate you. Great. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Jordan. His book, Redeeming Your Time, actually comes out this week. So head on over to wherever you get your books and pick yourself up a copy. I've also included a link in the show notes. Last thing, if you enjoy this podcast, I really think you'd also like my free weekly newsletter, Reagan's Roundup. It is packed full of insights on personal productivity from a Christian worldview, along with all of the best links I find each week around the web that I think will help you on your journey to becoming a more productive Christian. To sign up, just go over to newsletter.redeemingproductivity.com. Again, there's going to be a link in the show notes. And also, as a bonus for signing up, I send you my free morning routine planner PDF. All of that's free. 
All of it's awesome, in my opinion. Just go to newsletter.redeemingproductivity.com to view past issues and get yourself on that mailing list. Well, that's all I have for you in this episode. I will see you again here next week. But until I do, remember this. In whatever you do, do it well and do it all to the glory of God. <laughs>